I um, I came to church today to uh, prepare, and I came early, and I came with a different direction in mind. I already had it laid out, and somewhere, uh, you know, you just get that feeling that uh, just an unsettled feeling. Maybe you don't, but I get that feeling that maybe that's not what God wants me to say tonight. And so I began to seek after the Lord, and God began to turn me toward this particular portion of Scripture. And so, for better or worse, I'm going to give you that word tonight. Hebrews, the 11th chapter, and I'm going to read beginning with verse number 8, and I'm going to read down through verse number 16. And the sequence of this, or this, the sequel, I should say, to this can be found in Genesis chapter 12. If you go back to Genesis 12, you will find the beginning of the story of Abraham. But let's listen to what Hebrews 11 says. By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out not knowing whether he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country. Quite a strange uh, mixture of words. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, but he did it as in a strange land or a strange country. Dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundation, whose builder and maker is God. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even of one and him as good as dead so many as the stars of the sky in multitude and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. Verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. And everybody said, Amen. This phrase, they desired a better country. The word country in my Bible is italicized, which means that that word was not in the original text. And so if you drop that, it simply said, they desired a better. Amen. Now, I want to ask you tonight, do you have a desire for a better 
better home, better life, a better family, a better job, a better future. Amen. A desire for a better. And everybody said amen. God bless you. You may be seated. When I begin to look at this particular portion of Scripture, and I love the book of Hebrews, I love chapter 11. If you want an interesting reading, I challenge you to go home and go online into one of the Bible programs and read chapter 11 from the Amplified Bible. Uh, the Amplified Bibles is simply that. It takes the original text and it amplifies it in our modern uh, language and uh, it intensifies the meaning of the text. And so you will read, now faith is a substance, and then you will read by faith. What is so interesting, when I read that the first time, it just overwhelmed me. As a matter of fact, several years ago, I don't know, maybe three or four I did a series uh, of, of uh, sermons on Wednesday night uh, about uh, by faith. And uh, it, there's so many things. I think we call it the, uh, the enabling power of faith because I don't know how many of you remember that series. You don't remember that. Oh, I could go back and re-preach that again. You would. You know what a preacher told me one time? He's looking through his notes and he said, man, I, did, I don't remember that. He said, if I don't remember it, my God, how can they remember it? But I've always found out that somebody's taking notes somewhere and they it, invariably you pull one of them out and, you hit, and they'll, oh, Brother Hugh, they got their name right down there beside the text. My wife used to do that to me all the time. She reminded me that I'd preached that before, but she was always kind and said it was better this time than you did last time. I'm just picking. She's shaking her head, no, I've gone far enough. All right. The enabling power of faith, by faith, through faith, uh, all of that is found in, in, in chapter 11. But what captured my attention is that phrase, they desire a better and I began to think about all the implications that that encompassed. What was that better thing that they wanted? Uh, for all of you, it is different. And once I began to think about that, I began to entertain other questions, such as how do you get there? How do you get to that better? And what does it look like when you get there? And when I begin to consider what it looks like when you get to that better, that's when I stumble. And that's where most of us stumble in our quest for better. I, I, I don't think it would take a straw poll tonight if I were to ask you, I think all of you would consent tonight that you want a better life. All of us desire a better future. We want better things. We are not content to just be satisfied with the status quo. There's nothing wrong with that. But what does it look like? And, and when 
could we be in it and not know that we're in it? I, I've been around a lot of people that were actually in that better life, but they didn't know it because they were too focused on the wrong things and upon the, the events of life that they failed to realize that they were in a better place. There was an email sent to a pastor one day, and, and the email, it, it really could be from anyone. It could be from some of us. But the email read like this. Dear Pastor, in the early 1980s, <laughs> I left a very good job in Canada to move to Spain because I thought the Lord was leading me in that direction. But it never really worked out like I thought it would. Along the way, I got sick. I endured treatment for my sickness, and now I am better. But after having gone through all of that, I decided to move back to Canada where I am a lot older than when I left. And now I wonder to myself, was I wrong to leave Canada in the first place? And now, how can I trust God with my future if I secretly think my past decisions were wrong? Signed, a trouble saint. And it's that last statement that sticks in my mind tonight. How can I trust God with my future if I secretly think that my past decisions were wrong? I started out in what I thought was the right direction, but I ran into trouble. And so I interpret trouble or I interpret that adversity as being something contrary to the will and the purpose of God for my life. And we've all been there at one time or another, and some perhaps are even there right now. Someone bought a new house, only to discover after they bought a new house that the foundation was cracked. And now their dream home has become a nightmare. Someone takes a new job because their old boss was a jerk only to find that their new boss is three times the jerk that their old boss was. Somebody makes a move to a new city hoping for a new start but the promised job never materialized and they discover that the people in the new town doesn't seem to like them any more than the people in the old town. Someone decides to find a new church because they didn't like the old church because it was too full of gossips. So they switch churches only to find out that the people at the new church are pretty much like the people at the old church. They all have mouths. And they don't always use them in the right way. And most of them have computers. And they don't use them in the right way. 
Somebody prayed for a long time to start a business. When the time seemed right, they took a step of faith and made the leap and they started the business only to see it fall within a few months, just as many others failed because of a general economic downturn. There is one key factor that probably connects all of those stories and that is if you were to ask them, they would all tell you that they prayed about their decision. How many of us have prayed for something better and then we got what we thought was something worse? How many of us have prayed for a situation to change or improve, but it only got worse. And so we interpret that as we have either prayed wrong or we are out of the will of God. People can make all the right steps and they can seek God and they can consider the circumstances and they can search out the Word of God and still encounter trouble in their quest for something better. Somebody said amen. People truly believed that they were doing the right thing, but it didn't work out. And we wonder, did I make the right decision? Worse, down deep in our heart, we wonder, as this one wondered, how can I trust God with my future if I secretly think my past decisions were wrong? How many of us wrestle with those thoughts tonight about something we've done? A choice, a turn, a decision. Was it right? Was it wrong? All of the things about my life right now seem to testify that I made a poor choice. What do you do when you think you've blown it on your way to the better. Maybe you shouldn't have changed jobs or maybe you shouldn't have bought that new house or maybe you shouldn't have moved or maybe you shouldn't have done this or you shouldn't have done that. Maybe, maybe, maybe. You know, it's always easy to look back and criticize yourself for the decisions that you made yesterday. But you got to go back and live yesterday to really know the implications of those decisions. And all of us have done our share of second guessing. But what I want to know tonight is, is there anybody here that's interested in getting to a better place? Anybody here interested in getting to a better situation? Anybody here interested in progress? Anybody here interested in going forward? Anybody here interested in reaching their full potential in God? Is there anybody here tonight that desires something better? Listen to this. I don't even know who said it. I just found it and I put it in my notes. But they said each step of real advance in the divine life will involve Two things, an altar on which some dear fragment of the self-life has been offered 
and a graveyard where tombstones mark where some cherished idol has been buried. You've got to have an altar and you've got to have a graveyard. You've got to have an altar to take your sacrifice and your commitment to and your life to and put it there and you've got to have a burying place to put those things that need to be buried and left behind. And somebody said amen. Now, when I read this letter from this troubled saint, my mind goes back to Abraham and goes to the encounter here in Scripture that we read. And when I think of this earthly example, I have to consider Abraham and his quest for something better and what it looked like and what it took for him to get to that better place. And then when you get there, how do you know that you are there? And what I found in my study of Abraham's life is that Abraham did everything right from the beginning. When God spoke to him in Ur of the Chaldees, he listened to God and he went out obeying the voice of God. But I want you to look with me at what his life looked like on this journey of faith. I want you to consider with me what it looked like when he was called to leave his homeland and journey in faith, his journey in faith began And he begins after God speaks and gives direction. He moves out into the promise of better things and he does all the right things. He did what God told him to do and he went where God directed him to go. He did all of that. And if you start at Genesis 12 and you begin to read through his story, you will find everything but paradise. Everything but paradise. Abraham was called to go out. And Hebrews said he went out not knowing where he was going. Do you understand tonight that in the quest to get to a better place, there can be times in your life when you don't know where you're going, but you are going? Can you understand me tonight when I tell you that in a quest for something better, in a desire to know more and to have more and to be more, Abraham set out on a journey, but he didn't know where he was going. Can I tell somebody here tonight that it's all right not to know sometimes. It's all right When people say, well, what are you going to do now to look them square in the eye and say, I don't know. You mean you don't know? I mean, I don't know. But I know he knows. And I'm going to keep listening to him and I'm going to keep walking with him. But Abraham goes out in this quest for a better life in this desire for a better future, in this hunger for something called heaven. 
something that was celestial, something that was pure and peaceful and glorious beyond description. And he sets out on that journey and he doesn't even know where he's going. It's all right to not know. Amen. He left all his family behind and he goes out not knowing where he was going. Everybody say, you don't have to know everything to get to a better place. You don't have to know everything to get to a better place. You just have to know him. And if you know him, and when I say know him, I don't mean know about him or you've heard about him. I'm talking about knowing him. The word know in the Hebrew is a word that is very intimate. It actually speaks of the relationship that a man has with a woman, that intimacy. That's what God said. If you know me, if you don't just know about me, but you have come into fellowship with me, you are walking with me, you are living with me, you are sleeping with me, you are eating with me, you are living with me, you're walking with me. If you know me, then you don't have to know everything. I will take care of that for you. There are times... And listen to me tonight. I, I, I want you to clap or get excited, whatever, but I want you to get the message tonight because there are people that are beating yourself up tonight sitting on these pews thinking that you made a wrong turn or you made a wrong decision or you made a wrong choice or you did something or it wouldn't be, it wouldn't have turned out this way when the, and you don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do next. And God sent me to tell somebody tonight, you don't have to know. He knows. He didn't know where he was going. He just knew that he had to go. And so something better began with going without knowing. You need to write that on your mind. You need to etch that in your brain. You need to put that on your iPad. You need to put that on the focal point of your life. Every morning when you get up, you need to remind yourself that you can be going to a better place and really not know. I don't know where it's at. I don't know how it, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know all the question answers. I don't know all. I don't even know what the questions are. I just know him and he said, go. And so I went. Hallelujah. I love, I, I listen to what he, I, I got to find my glasses here somewhere. And uh, what did I do with them? Oh, somebody help me. Verse number eight. He said, by faith, when he was called to go out to a place which he should receive for an inheritance, he obeyed and he went out. Sometimes, you just have to obey and go. You don't have to know and go. You just have to obey and go. Sometimes you just have to know that you know that you know that God knows. And if God said go, then I'm going. And get up and move and continue to move in that because it will not bring you to a fruitless end. He obeyed and he went. You know what? 
All of our lives would be made better tonight if we would just get those two things down. Obey and go. Obey and go. Well, Brother Hughes, I don't know. And that's we, we get hung up on the I don't knows of life. But God said, just obey me and go. Obey me and go. Abraham said, that's good enough for me. I don't have to know as long as God knows if Listen to me, folks. God would not call me to a better place if there wasn't a better place. God would not challenge me. He would not make me hunger for something better if there was not something better. God would not make me think I could have a better future if there was no better future out there for me. God is not in the business of frustrating us and just tantalizing us and tempting us and tricking us into making these ventures of faith and then making us fall on our face. When God challenges you and you begin to feel that stirring, that something God's wanting me, God, there's better, something better, something greater for my life. And God begins, God doesn't do that to frustrate you and I. He would not call me if there was not a better place. So you don't have to know to go. Amen. I said you don't have to know to go. Amen. You don't have to know to go. Amen. I'm going to say it again. You don't have to know to go. God will never take you. Listen to me. God will never take you away from people that you need in your life. And he will never leave you while you are not knowing. God took Abraham away from some people. But Abraham didn't need those people in his life to find that better thing that God was leading him to. So there are people in your life God will take you away from. But God will never take you away from anyone that you don't need in your life. And he will never leave you while you're in that not knowing stage. Amen. The second thing is that when Abraham reached the promised land, when he reached the promised land, the first people he encountered would be his eternal adversary, the Philistines. On your way, to a better place, you're going to run into some enemies along the way. Amen. You're going to run into some people that if they have anything to do with it, they're going to stop you, frustrate your dream, aggravate you, torment you, trouble you. And that's exactly what the Philistines did for years until a man by the name of David said, enough is enough. And David rose up and slew them, and they were silenced, and they were put, they no longer became, they were no longer that nemesis. But the first, go read it in Genesis 12. The first thing that the Bible said when he got there, that he came into the presence of the Canaanites, the Philistines, his enemy, the people that would trouble him. So when you're on your quest, or on your way to a better life, you're going to run into a few enemies along the way. Don't be, don't be, don't get lost in this, this enemy issue. Don't, don't get lost 
wondering, well, God, if I was in the will of God, if I was doing the right thing, surely I wouldn't be running into trouble this soon in the journey. I mean, we just get here and we're already facing trouble. We just step out into the sunshine and people start throwing rotten potatoes at us. People start raining on our dream. They start laughing at our hopes. They mock our desire. Don't be surprised. Don't be shocked. That doesn't mean you're not in the right place. Just understand that you're going to run into some enemies on your journey for something better. But don't let your enemies decide your destiny. Don't let your enemies decide your future. Don't let your enemies determine whether you have a better life or not. Some of your enemies want to make your life miserable. But you know what? I've learned to rejoice in the presence of mine enemies. I've learned that my God prepares a table in the presence of mine enemies. And so instead of letting them frustrate me, instead of wondering, what are they doing here? I can't pray when they're around. I can't worship when they're here. When oh, I can't even think when I look across the church and I see Sister Selador, bro. When I look and think of what I know about them, I can't even worship God. David said, oh, God has prepared a table in the presence of my enemy when I come into the house of God I'm not looking at my enemies I'm looking at what God prepared for me he gave me something that will strengthen me and help me get your eyes and get your eyes back on your Lord hallelujah amen get your eyes off of what's against you and start looking at what God has prepared for you in the presence of mine enemies, he prepares a table before me. Amen. Now, number three. He got there to the promised land. He had left his family. He had cut his ties with his friends. He had gone out not knowing And now he gets here, and he's a stranger in his promise. He's a stranger. That's pretty odd to me, that God would call somebody out, entice them to leave all their family, challenge them with a dream, challenge them with a hope for something better. And then bring them in to something better. And they're like a stranger in their own promise. And the Bible said he was as a pilgrim. He was a sojourner. He just, he didn't even have a permanent house. He didn't have a mailing address. Well, he did. I'll have to get to that. But it wasn't the kind of mailing address some of us think of. His mailing address was an altar. That's one thing he did. First thing he did when he got there was build an altar. But he's in this promised land. He's in his better place. And he's a stranger. How weird is that? How odd is it that God would lead? He left all of that behind. And he's still wandering. He's still a pilgrim. He's still a stranger. He's still having to put up a tent and pull it down. And travel here 
and traveled there. And God keeps saying, Abraham, I'm with you. Abraham, you see those stars? I'm going to make you, your family, your posterity as those stars. You see the sand? I'm going to make your heritage like the stars and the sand. I'm going to multiply. I'm going to bless those that bless you. I'm going to curse those that curse you. I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing to the whole world, to the whole earth, Abraham. And here he is in the middle of that, and he's a stranger to his own promise. How odd is that? Do you understand tonight that you can be in a better place and still feel a little strange about it. You can still have a little uncertainty and be in a better place. Isn't that what a strange thing? I mean, isn't that what stranger and pilgrim mean? He was uncertain. Today I'm here. Tomorrow I'm here. The next day I'm here. The next day I'm here. What's, what's going on with you, Abraham? Well, the Lord said, so I'm obeying. God said, so I'm going. And so he's in the middle of a promise, and there's uncertainty. Everything wasn't as settled as you might think. He didn't have a castle up on the hillside. There was no fortress for him to hide behind. But he was there in the middle of that better promise that better thing in the midst of an unknown area a stranger ah and lo and behold right in the midst of all of this a famine comes to his promise a famine a famine comes to his promised land he's right in the middle of this place god said is your heritage where you're going to be multiplied and you're going to be a blessing that reaches out to the entire world. And now a famine comes. Can I tell anybody here tonight that you can be in a better place and still go through some dry spells? Can I tell somebody here tonight that you can be in a better place and your prayers be like lead? Can I tell anybody here that if you dance, you dance on your own. You don't dance because you feel the inspiration of the Holy Ghost because you're in a famine. Can I tell anybody here tonight that you can be in a better place, that you can desire something better and be in the middle of that something better and still be in a difficult situation? Can I tell you that you can actually be in a better place and be barren for a season? Barren. Sarah, his wife. How was he going to have a heritage if he didn't have a child? And Sarah, his wife, is barren. She has not able to produce a child for him. And God keeps telling him all of these things. And you know the story of Abraham, how they tried to manufacture something to help God out as if God needed some help. And yet 
Sarah goes on through the years barren, nothing coming, no, no fruitfulness, no, no children, no cry, no dirty diapers, no bottles to get ready, none of that that a mother longs for, but she was right in the middle of a better place and a better thing. I don't know if I'm helping anybody here tonight, but I hope somebody will listen to a, an ignorant preacher and hear me right now that you can be in a better place. The journey is still by faith. I said the journey is still by faith. And it's still an act of faith. It's still a walk of faith. And you're not going to get to that better place without some unknowns. You're not going to get to that better place. And you're not even going to be in that better place without some unknown. You're not going to be there without some trouble. You're not going to be there without some enemies. You're not going to be there without some problems. You're not going to be there without some pressures. You're not going to be there without some misgivings. But you hear me tonight. None of those things void or nullify God's promise to you. And that promise was what you have committed to me, I will keep against that day. And I am committed to that. I am convinced to that, that God will keep that which I have committed to him. Amen. So how... How do I get to that better place? Well, you've got to have a confidence in the Word of God that will outweigh your confidence in anything else. You have to have an assurance that God keeps His Word no matter what anybody else says. Number two, you do need a good grip on reality. I don't think any of this Missed Abraham. I don't think any of this was lost on. I don't think Abraham was ignorant of anything I'm talking about. I think Abraham was just as human as you and I. But when he walked into that promised land and he feels strange. And I'm, I wonder why am I feeling so strange when I'm, uh, when I'm where God wants me to be. He, I, I don't have any doubt in my mind that there were times when he looked across the tent at Sarah. And he wondered, God, how this is a better place. But she's barren. How, how is this good? How is this a better place? I have no doubt in my mind that in his humanity he wondered at times, but he had a grip on reality. He didn't allow his mind to play tricks. He wasn't on some fancy uh, idealistic walk or some future that was pie in the sky. He had a grip on reality. But he also had a Hold on eternity. He had a keen eye for the invisible. He knew that not everything is being seen in this picture. And I need to tell somebody here tonight, you, you don't see everything in this picture right now. You, you don't see everything that's here right now. But you need to learn how to develop an eye for the unseen. He had a worshiping life. First thing he did was build an altar. He built an altar. You need an altar in your life. You need an altar in your life. If you want to get to a better place, it's going to begin with an altar. Because listen to me, even in Abraham's better place, he made a mistake. He went down into Egypt during the famine and lied to Pharaoh about who his wife was. But you know what I like about Abraham? 
a man that has an altar, even when he makes a mistake, he came back from that mistake straight to his altar. And that's how people deal with their mistakes. They don't stay away from the altar. They don't hide from the altar. Everybody needs an altar. You need an altar to bring your concerns to. You need an altar to bring your fears to. You need an altar to bring your questions to. You need an altar to bring your stress to. You need an altar in your life that will alter your future. And if you will alter your plans and put them on the altar, then they will alter your future. And they will bring a better outcome. But it all hinges on an altar somebody say I need an altar I need a place where I can come and sacrifice and worship and honor him and get my direction and get my sense about me and understand that what I see with my natural eye is not all there is to this world and I need not only that but I need an attitude that is undismayed by improbabilities Amen. I don't care if you are barren. If God said you're going to have a child, you better start going to buy baby clothes. You better start visiting the Gerber aisle. You better start stocking up on pampers. If God said he's going to give something, God's going to give it. And I'm closing. The reason Abraham got that that better place, even though it didn't look like it at times. He got there because he lived for the future, not by the past. He lived for the future, not for the past. That's what's wrong with some people today is they keep allowing the past to determine their present. They allow what was what they did, who they were, what they were, where they were, to keep affecting them in the when and now. And Abraham somehow learned something important when he left Ur. He left Ur. Do you hear me? He left it. He didn't drag it along with him. You don't ever hear him referring back to Ur from that point forward. He was looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. He had his eyes in one direction, and that was the future. God's got something, and he kept reaching for it. And he died in faith, reaching for that, embracing that, believing that, living that. And he was in God's perfect will. He had, go read, I, 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 I hadn't even scratched the surface. Go read the rest of Genesis. He had family problems in the middle of his promised land. He had family divisions. He, him and Lot had to separate because of the strife and contention in the family. But he was still in God's promise. Anybody want to get to a better place? You might ought to open your eyes. You may be in it right now and not even know it. 